Welcome to the How Justice is Served podcast with attorney Jed Kurzban. If you're a practicing attorney or a business person who needs to persuade others when the stakes are high, this is the podcast for you. Whether you stand in the courtroom or the boardroom, Jed will teach you how to persuade people when it really matters. Listen as Jed shares keen insights, life lessons, and memorable stories, all delivered with a dose of humor. Here's your host, Jed Kurzban. Well, I'm joined once again by Jed Kurzban. He is the author of How Justice is Served, and we are continuing our conversation going into chapter five of your book, Getting to Know Your Client. And the first question that I have for you is that why is it better for a client to choose a law firm that's more based on and more focused on justice versus profit? Because that is a a kind of a factor that you bring up in the beginning of this chapter. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I will tell you that I feel very strongly about this particular issue. Mm-hmm. I am not a law firm that's known as a mill law firm. I do not have hundreds or thousands of clients. I have dozens of clients over a period of years, no more than five or six active trial cases at one time. Mm-hmm. I do that on purpose so I can focus on my client. There is no way any lawyer and there are more lawyers, lawyers more brilliant than I am that can learn the facts of 100 cases. It just can't be done. So if you have more than four or five cases going at a time, you simply cannot learn those facts. And facts matter. It makes a difference. And, you know, I get cases that have been rejected all of the time. Sometimes they've been rejected by two or three attorneys before they get to me. And when I look at the case and take the time to speak to the client and get to know the case, I'm able to help them many times, even though they've been rejected by other attorneys, because they were not an easy fee to help fund the machine. And I talk about it in my book. And the machine is to get as many clients as you can, get as much money as you can in settlements to get more advertising, because more advertising will lead to more clients. And then it's just a circle. It's a machine that I don't believe in. And so I don't advertise. I don't try to get hundreds of clients. And each client's individualized. Um, And I had a a very good client that actually got hurt as a roofer and no one would take the case because his hands were literally disintegrating. The skin was peeling off, the nails fell off, and they couldn't understand how this roofer's hands were so destroyed. And they thought maybe it's working in the sun or being a roofer. And after taking the time to hear how his boss had him start an entire new theory of using these epoxy foams versus nails, well, then we had the epoxy tested, and it turned out we got a very nice settlement for the gentleman once we realized the epoxy was very toxic and didn't have the appropriate warnings to let you know just how toxic they were that required really thick gloves before this epoxy was used. Hmm. So in the process of getting to know your client, what kind of questions do you ask? Because you also bring up in the book that sometimes clients aren't completely upfront with their attorneys. And so they feel like they can't tell their lawyer everything. So they keep some, some skeletons in the closet. What kind of questions do you ask to your clients to get them to share everything with you? So again, this is why I do all intakes myself. Not all of them. Sometimes I'm out of town for work or I'm in trial, but if I can, if I'm in my office, I would say I take 90% of the intakes because I want to listen to people. I want to hear what they have to say. I tell everyone, you don't have to be honest with everyone in the world, but you should always be honest with your priest and your attorney. Because they're the two that can really help you. 
Um, and, and you know, it's something I've told, I have two teenage daughters and I've told them this since they were born. We're given two ears and one mouth for a reason. You should listen twice as much as you talk. Let them talk, ask questions, follow up, listen. And you'll find that you can really, once people feel comfortable talking, you'll find a lot of these things that maybe you wouldn't have got on an intake or your staff wouldn't get on an intake. And most things are not detrimental to the case. They're issues and you have to frame around them. You have to handle the issue if you're prepared for the issue. But, you know, it's really simple if you listen to understand how to help people. And the question that you asked, the most simple question I ask is if I'm, if I think it's a case I want to take very early on, I'll say to the client, I need three before and after witnesses, three people that knew you best before you were injured and after you were injured. I don't care if it's a teacher, a friend, you can have one family member, but just one, the rest have to be others, coworkers, friends, clergymen. And if they can't come up with three people to talk about them, then I know they're probably not that good a client that I want to take. Hmm. And more likely than not, my clients will have, well, I have six people. I don't know which will be the three best. <laughs> Great. Give me all six names. I'll, I'll let you know. Good. Well, how can, um, how can getting to know a client or I should say, how has it benefited you personally as you've interacted with different people over the years and gone to trial and, and represented so many people? How has getting to know them on a personal level really impacted it and benefited you in the courtroom? Well, as I said before, I, I like to try my cases because that's where people really get justice. Mm -hmm. If you're going to take 100 cases and settle 100 cases or 99, all you've done is keep the cog rolling. I talk to my clients. I want to get to know them because I want the jury to know them because jurors do the right thing. They really want to do the right thing. And if they know your client and know they're a good person, they're going to want to help your client. And so I talk about in my book, this really lovely couple, and they're very into energies and crystals. And they would ask me to set things on certain dates because they were lucky dates. And my associate and I were a little amused and right. you know we, we agreed to do some of the things because we wanted to make them happy but the case literally got better and better every month we had the case and did work the case got better and so now i have a few crystals behind me and um i believe in a couple lucky dates and <laughs> is it true that that's what made the case so much better I like to think it's mostly my hard work and creativity <laughs> and ingenuity, but I am not discounting the fact that some of that may have played a part and they're just a lovely couple. And thank God we did very well for them. And, and, you know, you wouldn't know that if you didn't spend the time to go to their house and see crystals and ask questions about them and, and take the time to invest in your own clients. And that's what, unfortunately, a lot of younger attorneys who are forced to work on too many cases, they don't invest in their clients and, and they should. It's an investment that will pay dividends. Well, it sounds like, if nothing else, you're building camaraderie between you and the client where you're able to have mutual trust and you know they, they might be a little bit more open on things that they normally wouldn't disclose to their attorney solely because you're taking the time to really get to know them. So it sounds like not only is it going to benefit you just professionally, but just as, as a person building a good reputation of somebody that really cares about their clients, I think that's... Um, the biggest lesson that we can learn from this, for sure. And I think juries respond to it. Like I said, juries want to help good people. And if they see your clients are good people and you're a good person who knows your client well, they're going to want to know. And, 
you know, it's like a little tiny trick, but so one of the tricks is I always call my plaintiffs by their first name. I'll say Jeffrey or David or Susie. And then the defendants who don't invest in their clients because they have too many cases will say, you know, Dr. Bashur mm. or Mr. Jefferson. And juries go, look, I like Sue. I don't know who Mr. Yeah. Bashur is. <laughs> Adds a little bit of a personal touch for sure. You know, it does. And it, and it matters and it makes a difference. It really does. And I, I would tell any young attorney or anyone that wants to read my book to understand that the time you take to get to know your client better will help you prepare your case and maximize the verdict you can get. Because in the end, we're storytellers. So we need to tell our story. And I will tell you, honestly, Bethany, my clients come to me and it's not the first question they say, what's my case worth? They say to me, I don't want this to happen to anyone else. I want there to be justice for what was done. Can you help me? Yeah. And I feel honored that I'm able to help them. Well, if maybe a young attorney is watching or just really somebody that's that's wanting to educate themselves, if they've found themselves wronged by um, by some someone else and they want to make it right, I think your book would be a great resource. It's How Justice is Served. It's written by Jed Kurzban. Thank you so much, Jed, for just your time and sharing your expertise. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the How Justice is Served podcast with Jed Kurzban. Learn more or get a copy of Jed's book when you reach out to him at kktplaw.com. That's kktplaw.com.